Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever wanted to get into pipe smoking? Do you enjoy pipe smoking yourself? Have you ever had the opportunity to meet somebody who makes pipes? We get to do that and more on today's episode. Stay tuned. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, today we are going to talk about something really fun. As uh, John already mentioned, we are going to be meeting with a man who makes tobacco pipes, uh, Kadesh Swanson. Uh, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you did. Awesome. Uh, Kadesh was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. He's been a Catholic his whole life and a pipe maker for close to eight years. He loves studying theology and spending time with his family. And when he's not making pipes, he's usually at the farmer's market making tacos, another one of my favorite things for the locals. <laughs> well, welcome so much, Kadesh. Thank you for having me on, guys. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. I uh, I love pipes myself. I've got a whole bunch of them. So do I. Uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the uh, things that uh, that I discovered around the same time I was was discovering Catholicism. I don't know uh, how that came about. But, but regardless, uh, welcome. And uh, just to get started... Um, how did you get into pipe making? Like it's such a such a unique craft. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, thank you guys for having me on. It's uh, I have one of your guys' mugs, and so I love the content on Instagram. I, uh, truth be told, I'm not much into podcasts. I guess you could call me kind of old school, just because I prefer listening to videos on YouTube. Just yeah. putting them on play and just listening as I go. I haven't made the transition to full audio to podcast just yet. Um, but pipes, I got into that, um, I guess about eight years ago. And pipes has played a really interesting role in my life. And before I get dive into the rabbit hole on that, I'll try to get a succinct account for you guys. But um I was just uh, freshly married and um, my old youth minister had become, you know, made the transition from him being the mentor of, of me during my youth and me coming into my, uh, to my manhood, essentially. Then we became friends. So once he moved on to other endeavors, I'd go over to his house and um, have dinner with him and his wife. And well, one evening he said, I have something special to show you. And so go over there and he whips out these really old pipes and they said they believe he said they were his wife's grandfather's pipes and so he wanted to smoke a pipe with me now i had grown up my whole life with my dad as a smoker um he he was the type of dad when we would go hunting or he'd run errands that he'd get in the car and he immediately cracked the window and start smoking and tamping out the window i think a lot of us have that childhood memory of the mom or dad just tamping out the window keeping all the windows open so you don't suffocate from secondhand smoke yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and um, so well, my dad is always strict on, you know, smoking's bad for you. Don't be like me. And so that stuck with me. So like I grew up with a very bad connotation of tobacco. Um, and so when my friend brought out the pipes, I was hesitant because I'm like, oh man, you know, my dad and I, had a moment where I said, Hey, I'm a man. I'm married now. I have my own life. I can make my own decisions right now. <laughs> so um, he brings out some, some, uh, a big bag of some cherry tobacco. He gives me a pipe. He shows me the whole ritual of, you know, putting the tobacco in the bowl, tamping it down, getting the first light going. And I, it was a life changing experience because when I lit 
and I blew my first cloud of smoke. And I forgot to mention my dad had quit smoking. He had stopped smoking for years. So I hadn't mm. smelled pottery smell in forever, you know, uh, almost a decade. And so when I lit that first bowl and the smell hit me, it was a nostalgia overload. Every single mm. hunting trip, every single fishing trip, every single errand, everything just came flooding back to me of just uh, those beautiful memories with my dad. And so it was one of those moments where it was just such a pure emotional moment that I knew that for me, this is going to be part of my life mm. from now on. Um, so just, so yeah, it wasn't the Nick, it wasn't a nicotine hit. It wasn't anything like that. It was pure emotion that said, this is, this is what I want to be part of my life. This is going to become part of it now. And so as I had that beautiful moment, the second thing that happened that really solidified this as being part of my life was I felt, I kid you not, I felt like there was another presence in the room. Um, it was very friendly. I felt like it was just this warm embrace that was kind of saying welcome. I couldn't mm. explain it, but that's exactly what it felt like, this very w- welcoming presence. And so several months down the road, as you know, I'm starting to collect pipes, going to antique shops and trying to find good deals and get unique pipes. I think a lot of pipe collectors and pipe smokers start out with. And my grandfather said, hey, why don't you come on over? I have a gift for you. So I drive out to his place and he sits me down, tells me on the little uh, TV stand, he goes, open the drawer, your gift's in there. And I pull out these uh, three pipes. And he goes, those were my great-grandfather's pipes or his, his father's, my great-grandfather's pipes. And he had passed away. And in that moment, I felt like that was, that was my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. And the very first time I smoked a pipe, that was probably him saying, you know, welcome to the proverbial uh, brotherhood of the briar, if you will. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that was kind of what got me into pipe smoking. And then the pipe making journey started very shortly after, after that, but that's what got me into pipes. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that all of our listeners or people who've uh, been aware of the Catholic gentleman from its um, beginning, know that obviously the pipes are something that's close to us. This has been an episode that Sam and I have wanted to have for quite a while, just didn't know who. And so uh, for those listening, it was uh, providential that you pinged uh, or you commented on an Instagram post. And I was like, perfect. This is exactly who we've been waiting for, you know, a specialist in this field. And so um, I do, I very much appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, for me, I would say that pipe smoking, uh, I know it began when I was married. So I'm a professional trumpet player, right? That's what I had my my degrees in. And so it was very much this idea of like smoking, my lungs are my livelihood. And so that was my connotation, right? It was like, it, it there moderate it was all excess right like anybody who smokes smokes to excess and can't control themselves and why would we do this to ourselves and and that limited view kept me from ever experiencing uh things like um smoking a pipe or even a cigar or anything of that nature and then a friend of mine i believe was getting married and he said hey we're going to smoke some pipes and so they took me to a a pipe um the tobacco shop and I bought the cheapest $5 pipe, you know, that's in the, like the throwaway bin. And, um, and then I started, uh, uh, we just went to a pub together and, uh, smoked a pipe. And, and for me, it wasn't as magical as yours, but it was enjoyable. I, I greatly enjoyed it and, um, was glad to, uh, to partake in that. And there really is, as Michael Foley was saying on, uh, that episode that we did with him, about drinking, there's really something that connects to the soul of an individual, you know, with um, with pipe smoking that harkens back to um, ages of saints and church fathers and even prior to them um, in the antiquity of man uh, that uh, that we get to, you know, enter into um, when done, I guess, uh, with a, a certain degree of joy, pleasure and, and fraternity. Uh, so, but let's move in that direction of talking about how in the world did you discern, I want to be a pipe maker, and do you make a living making pipes? I think that's important um, uh, question. <laughs> well, we'll start with the living thing just in in brief. It, it does represent a part of 
the necessary uh, income to live. Yes, but not not entirely. And if there are any Catholic guys out there who are listening, thinking about diving into pipes, do not do it with the hopes and dreams that you are going to be a full-time pipe maker, mm. unless you love to eat ramen and macaroni <laughs> all the time, never take a vacation and yeah. stay in your house at the time. Uh, don't do it. Well <laughs> yeah, well you know, it's, it's a real starving artist, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's just for, for that side, but, that's that's not the important thing or why I I do it at all. It's the fact that I can I can make some money is just a absolute blessing. Um, I I do it now just because I feel like it's such a great tool for in some ways meditation mm-hmm. and and self reflection. But going to the beginning of how I started was right after I started smoking a pipe. I had always had entrepreneurial aspirations. Um, long story short, I my dad, like I said, worked all the time. Like he he worked Monday through Friday, half day on Saturday, and then Sunday off. Hmm. So he was working really hard for us, and you know that's the only type of um, lifestyle that I saw, which was this is this is what it's going to be. This is going to be my life. So I better figure out how to how to make that happen you know get get her nine to five job and just work up the ranks and like what everybody else does and there's nothing wrong with that by any sense Mm. but i had not exposed to alternative lifestyles in terms of like how people live like how how do other people provide for themselves outside of the, the the standard norm and so i had been dating this girl prior to meeting my wife and her father was self-employed and I noticed a dramatic lifestyle change where he, he just seemed to be around all the time. There was like no stress in the house. There was, there was no fights over money. There was, there was nothing. And so that really caught my eye. Not, not that he, however much money he was making, but just the lifestyle was very different. I think from that, I got attached to this idea that there's, there's other ways to live. There's other ways to make a living and, what I experienced doesn't have to be my entire experience. I can go make my own. And so at that point, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I got into uh, direct sales at one point. So everybody touts his pyramid schemes, but I had a positive experience with it. I had some extraordinarily great leadership training. Um, I learned how to communicate really well with people. I learned how to, I mean, with them, it was all about, you know, being able to like, get new members essentially. So you had to learn really quickly. How can I get to know somebody in less than a minute? And yeah. so those are like really important skills, especially if you're going to be like in sales or just in life, learning how to connect with somebody really quick. And, you know, on the flip side for evangelization, it was a, a no brainer. It allows me to get to know somebody and build a talk to, to them about, you know, Jesus Christ or the church um, really quickly without much, um, that much pushback because you got to know them so quickly. But yeah. that being said, so if one of the one of the leadership trainings we're having, they're saying if this company is not your vehicle to freedom, if it's not your if this is not your vehicle, I implore you to find out what that is and pursue it with all your might. And so eventually that that company went under. They say, well, it's still around, but it, it it's not what it used to be anymore. I ended up getting out due to different reasons. Um and it was the, the real reason was that when we first got married, we ended up having a miscarriage, which was mm. so unfortunate. It was such a a blow to us because we were a young couple. I mean, we were we were in our early 20s and our friends at the time and family weren't really well equipped to help us through that. So we had to cling together real closely to to make it through the emotional turmoil going on. But because of that, that business suffered because it's all about, you know, positivity, being a leader. And we were pretty broken. Yeah. after that. And so I went back to the nine to five grind and I was just feeling this hole inside me. I was just like still broken. I felt like all the hopes and dreams that I had just went down the toilet. And so I was just, I felt broken. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go back to the workforce and just kind of give up a little bit. Mind you, it was still in the back 
of, of my heart that I'm, I'm meant for something, something greater. I'm meant to do something with my life. And that's at the same time where that experience with my friend inviting me over to smoke a pipe came in. Mm. So it's like God was having his hand of trying to kind of uplift me mm. every step of the way, trying to uplift me out of the sadness. And so that was like the first, first little push of like, here, don't be sad. I'm going to put something into your life that's going to be meaningful. And that's where pipes came in. And then after that, that's when I started looking at the pipe and I was, uh, I had got let go of from a job and it was during the Christmas time. I had been, you know, smoking a pipe and it was another sad time, another blow to my, to my ego and having mm -hmm. let go from a job. And that's when I was on eBay looking at old antique pipes. I had like 40 bucks left in my account and I was about to spend all of it on a pipe. Cause I'm like, that's the only thing that's going to make me feel better right now is just getting another pipe. And that's when I came across the term artisan pipe. And then it was this really weird looking pipe and it looked completely different than these old English and French and Italian pipes that I've seen that were like, you know, 50 years old. It looked like it was new. I thought that pipes were like a relic of a bygone era. I didn't realize that people are still making these things. Yeah. So I did a Google search. I looked up, artisan pipes and i saw this video from a pipe making duo and they did this video about kind of an introduction to why they make pipes and it like it just did something to my heart where i was like wow this is meaningful work these guys are smoking pipes they're living this really cool lifestyle but what was so important was they're talking about how when they make a pipe it goes directly to the consumer and they know exactly what that person's going to use that pipe for that when they're sitting there contemplating about their life, when they're having a joyous moment, they're at a wedding, they're, they're, they're at a, a funeral, or they're just sitting down to unwind, they are in spirit there with that person in that mm -hmm. moment of contemplation through their work. And that just rang true to me. I said, this is meaningful work. This is it. This is what I want to do. I want to make pipes. And I, after having the idea, it just didn't, it didn't leave me. It just kept on chewing away at me. And so I finally did something. I went out and I set up a, a, a small crowdfunding campaign mm. to get funded. And mind you, I had no idea what I needed to make pipes. I was just looking at pictures of other guys' shops. I was looking at videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I came up with some things I thought that I was going to need. So I got almost fully funded, but I got enough to get what I needed to get started. And I just went at it, just trying to make pipes messing everything up, mm -hmm. destroying blocks of prior, okay. destroying rods of stem material. It was, it was a nightmare. It was extraordinarily frustrating. And, but I kept at it. There was just something that said, keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And uh, so I was just a couple months in, this was during the summertime. So like April, May, I started and there was a trade show coming up in November. And so I've been practicing making pipes and thinking I'm going to have pipes to sell at this trade show. Mind you, I'm isolated from the pipe world. So I don't know what quality looks like. I don't know what a, what a beautiful artisan pipe is supposed to look like, right. feel like. I have no idea what the standards are. But in my isolated world, I'm thinking, my goodness, I'm the Picasso of pipes. This is, they're going to just be like, whoa, how did you do this? It's the delusion that I had. <laughs> And so uh, it's the night before the show. My plane's supposed to pick, it's supposed to take off like at five in the morning. And I'm going with a buddy of mine who I also got into pipes. And uh, it's supposed to leave like at five in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning rolls around. And at this point, I set up a small little shop in my parents' garage. So I would commute about 15 minutes from my apartment, my parents' garage to make pipes. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm crying. I don't have any pipes ready. I couldn't get any of them done. So I'm like, just so once again, just kind of like defeated, like what, yeah. what's, what's going on. So I slapped something together the best that I could. The stem wasn't done all the way. And I get on a plane to Las Vegas. I get to the trade show and I'm just, I'm excited. I'm just like chest up, like, doesn't matter. It's not all the way done. They're going to see the potential. That didn't happen at all. Um, <laughs> You know, people say that, that, you know, you get a slice of humble pie. I got the whole pie. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I went up to one gentleman and 
who was really well known. And I said, what do you, I said, can you critique my pipe? And he kind of looks at it, looks at me and goes, what do you think is wrong with it? And I told him like five different things. He goes, good. Okay. So you do have an eye to see, (laughs) you know, kind of like carry on along, Uh, which seems like a really rude interaction. Years later, when I got to have a beer with him, he apologized because for some reason that moment stuck with him. Like he felt really guilty about that. And so several years later after a beer, he apologized years later and was just like, I'm really sorry. I never got the chance to tell you I'm sorry. He goes, honestly, it was just at that point in time, anything that I was going to tell you was just going to go right over your head. Like I could look at the work and just knew you weren't ready to hear like straight craftsmanship advice because you just wouldn't know what I was saying. Mm. And, you know, years into my journey, I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, like, yeah, then I couldn't see that. But now, you know, at that time I could. Wow. So I'm just going around and. I caught a conversation with some really well-known makers. They're saying there's, there's a very distinct difference between makers who are self-taught and makers who go for understudies. So, you know, we're not back in the medieval times where there's like genuine apprenticeships anymore. where you spend months with somebody, but there are many apprenticeships, like many understudies where you can go for a long weekend with an established maker and learn more about the craft. So when I heard that, I, my goal changed. Okay. I'm no longer here for critique. I know I suck now. Okay. Like that's, that's out of the way. I'm bad at this. So now my new goal is before this show's over, I need to find somebody who's going to let me into their place to teach me. Hmm. So then my, my questions changed from like, tell me what's wrong to like, I know it's wrong. Can you help me? Wow. And so I ended up going to several makers. Everybody said no, pretty much for the same reasons that guy was, had given me that rather harsh critique was that, whatever I tell you is just going to go over your head or it's going to be a waste of my time. You're too new. I found one gentleman who was new himself, but he had had a pretty solid background. His fundamentals were from established makers. And he said, yes, he'll teach me whatever he knows, which was great. And then I said, okay, he's a new maker. Let's see if I can just squeeze in one established maker that will say yes. And, uh, I met a gentleman who became a really good friend of mine. And, um, he sat me down and he, I said, can you look, I'll buy you a beer. Can you just take a look at it? And he looks at the pipe, you know, he's got his, 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 he was a profuse smoker. So he's got a, got the cigarette in with the one eye closed kind of look. And he's like looking at the, the, the pipe and he looks at me and he goes, so do you, do you want me to just, uh, you know, inflate your ego some more, or do you want me to like give you straight critique? And I said, I have been beaten down so hard, buddy. Your critique's not going to do, <laughs> it's not going to beat me any further. So yeah. lay it to me straight. It was, uh, uh, the only thing you've done right here is that all of your holes have been drilled straight. <laughs> so that's because that's about the only good thing about this thing. Wow. And I was like, wow. <laughs> awesome. Like, great. And uh, he could see the kind of defeated look in my eyes. And so then I popped the question. I said, could you teach me? Is there any way you could teach me? And he looks at it. He looks at me and then he goes, you know what? It goes in eight months. He goes, contact me again in eight months mm. and send me some photos of your work. I just want to see you're going to stick around since you're so new. If you're still around it after eight months and I can still, and I can see an improvement in your work on your own, then I'll take you on because then I'll know that you're going to value my time, yeah. that you're going to be there to learn and that what I teach you, the vast majority of it is going to stick with you. And I was like, fair enough. Okay. And so from, from that point, that was in November, February, I'm down to the first guy's place. The guy who was, who was just kind of new in his yeah. journey. A lot with him. I was down in San Bernardino, uh, the Oha Valley in California. So it's a little bit Southern California. I was down there for a long weekend with him. Um, and it was great because even in these apprenticeships, God had his hand in there because uh, I always grew as a person. And so this gentleman uh, was a Christian, but he, he was um, he was a Christian anarchist. Mm. Um, you, you, you in this group or just in life in general, like when you talk to people, you learn all sorts of weird stuff yeah. or all sorts of different variations that you've never heard of before. For sure. So I never heard of this before, but he was a very... Uh, radical gospel believers like he was the kind of guy that was like when it says feed the clothing you know you know feed feed the uh the hungry clothe the naked 
he took that literally. He's like, if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, then that homeless man is your brother in Christ, which means you should let him into your house to stay with you and take care of him. And I'm like, I can totally see that. <laughs> Not everyone's calling that though. You know, I don't know if that's for everyone, but you know, kudos to you because that's, that's something to be admired. And that had an impact on my faith life though. Mm. You know, I, I listened to that and you know, you think on some part, that's a little extreme, but you're like, but there is some truth in that. Yeah. What are you doing? How, how seriously are you taking the gospel call? You know, are you to the best of your ability living that call yeah. or are you being late? You know, and there was another thing too, is like when, uh, you know, my wife and I started having kids, I think we, I had a, my first son at that point and we had talked about adoption a little bit. And I was, I was, uh, kind of opposed to it. I was one of those guys like, no, just my biological kids. That's what I want to have. But after hearing him in that semi-radical message, you know, I was like, you know what, if I, if I am going to be pro-life, then I should be open to the possibility that if I'm going to be out there, that if somebody has a, a child that they don't want, then I should be able to step up to the plate and say, you know what though, I've got plenty of love in my house. Mm. Like that should, just as much as we're open to life, we should be open to life on all fronts. Yeah. And so that was something that I hadn't thought of before. And after visiting him and hearing his message, I was like, this definitely plays into my Catholic faith, into my faith in general, that I need to be more active and I need to be more open to, to the extremes of where God's message could call me and the level of uncomfortability that he's calling me to that I'm trying to push away. So that was the first apprenticeship, learned a lot. And then practice what, what he taught me, the basics, kept on practicing, practicing. And then I used what I learned there to then that summer re-message that established pipe maker and say, here's some photos of my work. Um, what do you think? Is this, is this good enough? And he said, yep. And he goes, it's definitely good enough. That dialogue happened in July. And then in October, I was back in California, um, this time in San Bernardino to study mm -hmm. with this gentleman. And once again, came across another strong Christian. I think he might've been evangelical, but he was one of those guys where he had a strong testimony that, you know, he had a, a life of drug abuse and he was in the punk rock scene. And he goes, he goes, God pulled me out of that. Otherwise I would have, I would have died. And, you know, mm. he had a real love and passion for Jesus Christ. And, you know, that stuck with me as well. Like, here's another guy. One guy was, was, was about the doing and this guy was about the love of Christ. And I asked him, like, I, I was, you know, I'm so new. Why did you agree to take me on? And he goes, you know, Kadesh, it was just, an, it was really an inclining from the Holy Spirit. I really just felt God tell me that I should help. And that was also the same with the first guy too, even with, with him and his, uh, you know, Christian anarchy, he still had a strong sense of spirituality. And I asked him the same question. I got the same answer prior, which was, it was just on my heart. God said, help you. And so, you know, as I'm going through this journey, I'm just, God is always there. And, you know, while pipes was something that was always positive in my life, moving forward, there was always a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff around me that was just, you know, kind of chaos. Yeah. So pipes really was this anchor. It was really tied to my spirituality that this is at the point in time was where I felt God's love and, and his security was through pipes because no matter what was going on i could always go to my shop and create mm. i could always be there and be at peace and get my mind right when when things were falling apart around me so i mean long story short um i visited like three uh four other makers after that um they they didn't have the same kind of god told me but more or less at that point in time, it was your skill caught my attention. Your, so it was kind of God carried me through this part and then was kind of like, you've got this now. You know, I've kind of got you through the tough parts, through the weeds. I got you through, you yeah. know, it's still a little bit uphill from here, but you've got what you need and you got what it takes to keep on moving forward um, without so much of a helping hand for me, you know, like, yeah, that's all awesome. care of it and stuff. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's just that, you know, I've been, like I said, doing it for eight years now. And, you know, some of my mentors that I have, I'm, I'm making the same quality as some of my mentors. Um, 
And the beautiful part now is that kind of when I go or I ask for, I still ask for apprenticeships, if you will, just because I feel like when it comes to art and other things in life, the learning never stops. That's right. I mean, if you want to be good at something, you're continually learning. And so, but the, the good part is now it's not so much of a, here, let me teach you. It's kind of like, yeah, come into the shop so we can learn from each other now. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a, a real beautiful kind of unfolding and blossoming of this journey of like desperate for, for, for knowledge, desperate for somebody to kind of give me a bone to, to now being at this point where people are like, I value your experience. I value what you bring to the table and, you know, let's, let's collaborate or let's, let's, when you come over, yes, let's, we'll make some pipes together, but I'm excited to, to potentially hear what you have to offer because I like the work that you do. That's great. And, um, yeah, and it's really played a part into the man that I am today because with it, it was the first, the first real vote of confidence that I got to say that you can do this, tying it back to the entrepreneurship. It was the first time I got up and I did something. It's right. I crowdfunded. I wanted to get a business going. I crowdfunded and it turned into a business, but not the way that I expected. I was in the beginning hoping it'd make me money. I'd be a full-time maker. But then as I kind of got past that, I realized that it was more about kind of me and God and, and my creative side as I started doing it longer. But it gave me that confidence to say like, you know, whatever I want to do, I can do it. I did this. Why can't I do something else? Yeah. The proof is putting right here that I can do it if I set my mind to it. It's the proof is right here. I live it every day. And so it's like a, a sobering reminder that when I come down here, not to become too comfortable, to realize there's always more you could do. You continue to push yourself and really live up to your potential. Yeah. What an amazing journey. I mean, that, that's a profound journey. I mean, a profoundly human journey. Um, and I think today um, we are surrounded by so many soulless objects, uh, things mass produced uh, by machines or in factories far away that we have zero connection to. And, you know, there, I, I like to think that you're leaving a part of your story and every one of the pipes that you're making. I mean, I think that artisans, when we talk about quality, when we talk about a quality product what what that's come to me is generally well made um but i i think in the truest sense something that's crafted or artisan by a real human being with a journey like yours that quality is that intangibility that intangible um part of your soul that you've left in the object that you've crafted um and that's not something you can quantify that's not something you can put in a feature list but it's something that's nonetheless real. Um, and I uh, just, I love hearing, you know, kind of how this has been a, a journey that involves family, tradition, apprenticeship, you know, struggle, effort, um, and all of that has kind of made you what you are today. But there's one thing I want to just kind of follow up on that I thought was really interesting. And um, it's this idea of craftsmanship as a form of contemplation or meditation. Um, and I'm just wondering if you could, you could share a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, and of course this is just kind of my perspective and it was something that evolved. It's like, as I'd mentioned in the beginning, it was, you know, just like, hopefully I can make some money at this. But then as I started to do it more and more, and especially when I went to my first show where I got to see the pipe. So besides asking for critique, I got to go to the tables, to the makers that I really admired. And I got to pick up their pipes. And when I got to pick them up and hold them, I was like, it, it was electrifying. It was like, mm. whoa, there, this, I, I, that was kind of like that, another sobering moment. I am light years away from this. There, there is an energy. These stationary objects have movement. There's just something so encap, you know, in, in, in you know, just it catches your attention about them from the, from the really well-made artisan pipes and i think that's kind of also in the perspective change from like you know trying to like see this as a business to make money to like i need to i need to perfect this i need to get to this level this is this is something else and for me i realized the longer that i did it and i reflected more on myself during the, the pipe making process 
I realized that you have to be essentially kind of a conduit to the creativity. You, if there's something astray in your life, like family, their family relations or your relationships are off, uh, your prayer life, your spirituality is off, uh, finances that might be causing turbulence. If there's turbulence in your life, it, it prevents you from going down and clearing your mind and be able to just freely create. And so that was one of the big things that I noticed that if, if, if I'm struggling somewhere else, there's something on my mind that shouldn't be there or is creating a block or, to my creativity. I can see that when I'm at, at my at my tools, because I'm like, I don't know what to do. And granted, writer's block is is common amongst many mediums and disciplines. But I seem to like really kind of try to draw the connection that it's it really has to do with me. There's something off with me because this is an inanimate object. These materials don't have um they don't have minds of their own to prevent me from creating i'm i'm the barrier to it i'm the one and that's mm-hmm. something that has been like a universal principle for my own life in that if i have a fight with my wife doesn't matter who's right or wrong i i'm the one who needs to to take a look at what i did wrong and i need to be the one who takes responsibility not just in my marriage but in my relationships it always comes down to this mantra of like, what could I have done better? What did I do wrong? And I need to be honest with myself. And so that's a real sort of honesty that the pipe making process has really kind of held me accountable to in other facets of my life. Um, But that's kind of where that contemplation and the craftsmanship comes in. It's like paying attention to those details because whatever I do here in pipes somehow has a mirror reflection of my own personal life in my relationships, the quality of work that I put out there and, and the, the caliber of the individual I am is really, I feel like on par with the quality and caliber of pipes that I make, that as it gets better, the pipe making gets better and the art gets better. So should I be as a person be progressing the same way. If that kind of hopefully answers the question. Yeah, it does. And I just, it's it's so great to hear somebody who values you know the art of production the art of creation right because part of what you're doing is the ability to unite with god the creator in these moments as you um set forth beauty within your um your work because we live as sam was just getting at in this consumerist society where we just consume right and we just we just want to consume other um people's work and and we consume videos and we consume um products that we purchase you know but we don't actually ever create or produce ourselves and we really stunt our ability to achieve the fullness of man when we do that and we don't have any outlets for leisure or any outlets for contemplation or any outlets for production. And just to hear you speak about your journey as well as, you know, that which you're able to create now versus you were, you know, eight years ago is just um, a beautiful example of perseverance and a beautiful and and excellent example of um, what's capable you know, when, when you stick to it, uh, for, for union with God and for, for love and for joy. And so I guess I want to ask you what influences you when you are, I mean, when you're not having writer's block, when you are, you know, you're sitting there and you've created uh, certainly, is it, is it the material that you use? Is it, um, a style of, uh, one pipe maker? It, what influences you? What motivates you and influences you to create the piece that's happening? Or is it a process that occurs, you know, when you start cutting that first piece of briar and, um, you know, uh, you're, you're starting to look at it and imagine what it could possibly be? How does that work for you as an artist? Uh, there's, there's several approaches, um, and I'll go through a couple of them. But there is the Ooh. So one approach is definitely sketching. I mean, that's mm-hmm. another outlet that has been um, completely um, priceless in the journey is that, you know, getting good at sketching, especially sketching your pipes. And it gives you a good idea of being able to flow. It helps kind of with muscle memory because as you're sketching, you're also solidifying the idea of silhouette since you're really kind of drawing in 2D 
it really does help you kind of get that muscle memory and the visual going of like, this is the shape I've drawn it over and over again and allows you to see that shape and then be able to replicate it. So, you know, one would be sketching and then kind of going with from that idea that you sketched to the block, or if you want to get, you know, really precise, like if you've got to make several of the same shape, then you sketch it out, make your stencil, and then you can put that on several blocks, cut them out 2D in shape. And then there's the freehand approach. And then the freehand approach um, within the pipe world, some guys think it's the best that it allows for the most creativity, but that's, you know, that that's totally subjective. I def, you know, the freehand can yield really good creative results, but the freehand is where I like to be sometimes. It doesn't necessarily yield the most creative sometimes, but it's also kind of the most liberating because you go in there you have to really kind of clear your mind a bit, kind of get into that zone of where it's just you, the block and the shaping wheel. And it helps when you have experience to be able to do that because then you can draw on your Rolodex of shapes that you've seen over the years, things you've created, things that, um, that you particularly like. And then what you do is you kind of just allow those things to kind of flow out. So as you're shaping you, you kind of got a line that you like and you start working with that line that you created and start moving to complete the rest of the pipe. Um, the briar itself, it, it grows in, in the Mediterranean. So in like really kind of sandy um, soil. So there can be pits or inclusions that you can't see that are on the wood, which can then test your adaptability to say, okay, I was going down one path. Um, you know, like I started off, didn't know what I was making, then a, then a, then a vision of what the pipe was going to be starting to evolve as I'm getting lines in and then a pit shows up and then you got to be like, okay, so I got to scrap the original idea, not the whole pipe because potentially the pit's not that bad. I can, I can carve it away, but now I've got to, now I've got to alter this. So am I going to have to put a curve in there that I didn't see before, or am I going to have to shorten up the proportions? And those things were some um, maybe starting out pipe makers might see as kind of a uh, nail in the coffin for that particular shape. The an, a more experienced artist could see that as an opportunity to get a little bit more creative and create something that they didn't originally intend. So, I mean, that, those are kind of the processes that you can go through. I do like the freehand approach uh, just because it allows more of myself to kind of come out onto the block, it allows more of those subconscious things that I like to kind of come to the surface. Mm. And so those are the things I, I kind of observe my own work. I post them a lot on Instagram and every now and then I'll kind of scroll through my Instagram from the beginning and look back and watch the aesthetic changes. And I can be like, oh, okay, I was in one season because I had studied with this maker. And so he heavily influenced the work during that time period. And then let's see what happens after that newness of that apprenticeship and learning that aesthetic when it wears off what it's truly me comes out in the process and the same thing then i go would look at the my instagram in my portfolio and then i'd see okay here is this other maker that i studied with okay i can kind of see the influence of my work from their aesthetic but then as it tapers off and then i'm starting to create my own work again what stuck what got left behind so it's just a continual evolution of me just kind of watching and seeing what is my style like what is my voice what is it that i really like what is truly a pipe of my own. And so that's, those are things that I watch as I, as I create is kind of keeping ideas to where the aesthetic is going and trying not to force it. Cause I don't want to have the work be looking like somebody else's all the time. You, you know, it's you, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, but sometimes you get caught up in it too much to the point to where it's like, okay, where, well, where's you in this pipe? Mm -hmm. Where, where is your, where is your aesthetic? You know, and it can't be something that like, oh, I use a, a green stem. That's that's my aesthetic. It's like, well, that's that's like the bare minimum for your signature. Like, where where is it in the rest of? It? And so, those are things that I kind of keep keep my eye on as as I evolve as a pipe maker. Is those things that stick that are just consistent, and then just working to flourish it and to keep it to growing to where it's just a it's just an identifiable pipe as Kadesh made that. I can just tell that he made that because I know that he likes to use XYZ bamboo. He has a unique application or these lines, the, the way that the pipe has this forward momentum, 
or the colors, like everything in combination, like that's Kadesh. That's what he likes to do. Or even in a simple pipe, you know, the, the, the greatest thing you could do is be able to have a lineup of 10 different makers all making the same pipe with the same material and colors and having an experienced collector be able to say, he made this one, he made that one, that person made this one. That's when you kind of really, it's not like a real milestone, but that's kind of where you can really assess that you've really honed in on your craft where you can take a shape amongst a sea of other pipes that are the same, but they can still pull yours out because they can just tell that it that's yours. I, I know that's yours. Maybe they can't articulate why, but just that sense, that feeling, that's it. And pick it up. I know this is a KJ pipe. I've held several of them before. This is his, you know? So that's, I mean, I, I get that, that impression looking at your Instagram that you have a very unique style. Um, and I'm incredibly impressed with the amount of variety in shapes and forms that you can come up with. Uh, you got these short, fat, like stubby looking ones. And then you got these long, like flowing, elegant ones. And then you got these like rusticated ones that are really kind of gnarly looking. And it's really incredible. And I guess what I'd like to hear you explain is kind of, uh, uh, there's kind of the, this this mentality that sometimes creativity is this place of unlimited possibilities. And yet when you're working with a medium like Briar, there's obvious limitations with that. And you kind of hinted at that in some of what you just shared. But can you just talk about the the tension between limits and creativity and how you work with that in your own creative process? If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I think that, I think that up to a certain point, I think when you're first starting out, it becomes very frustrating because you have a very untamed imagination in the mm. sense that you don't understand exactly what your limitations are just yet. So it can be frustrating because you draw something out on a sketchbook and then you realize, I don't, there's, there's just no way I'm gonna be able to drill this. Cause you still gotta take in, you know, the geometry and the physics of the drilling itself. That's gonna be your biggest limiter is the smoking quality. Cause what good is a pipe, how beautiful it is if it doesn't smoke right. So your biggest, your biggest um, hurdle or limitation to the briar is really going to be your drilling. I mean, you have, you know, you're going to have your tobacco chamber drilled at one angle. And then depending on how great the slope is, you know, you're going to have a straight line that kind of goes from here all the way to meet the bowl. So if you're can doing just, something, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say that is an incredibly... And, and beautiful pipe that you have in your hand right now. Thank you. This is actually from a friend out in Australia. His name is Brighton James, and he is he's quite the savant of of pipes. Like there's there's just some guys who who have it that you that 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 je ne sais quoi, you know, that yeah. special something. Um, and we'll get into that because that's also very an interesting point too, talking right. about creativity. But the the limitations are kind of presented for you, so. That's another reason why I like to utilize bamboo because it allows me to, to separate the bowl from the shank portion, which is the, the part in between the stem and the bowl is called the shank, the bowl itself. And then you have the stem. A lot of your issues are going to be between the stem and the bowl. And that's going to be your real kind of limiter is how far can that angle go? Like if you want to curve in your pipe, if you got to have a straight line, at some point it's going to get too close to the top of the shank and yeah. you could potentially run into what they call burnout where the heat of the smoke could start scorching from the inside out and then uh, it'll burn out the pipe right there. So those are things you have to keep in mind. It's like how thick or how thin can the bowl go? Because if it's not thick enough proper heat dis uh, dissipation, then you could end up with a hot spot that starts burning out over time. 
Um, if it's too extreme of an angle, well, the condensation could allow the your spit essentially or the hot steam to kind of start collecting and roll back into the pipe, create gurgling, or just allows the tobacco to get too wet at the bottom. So those are like there's definitely technical limitations, but as you start getting get more advanced, the reality is is that you begin to kind of um, it's kind of like muscle memory. You you just intrinsically start knowing what your limitations are. Um, over, I think, the last three years, every pipe that I've made, I've been able to drill just because I think it's just kind of sunk in what the angles are. It's sunk in what the limitations are. It's sunk in how thick or thin you can go. I can't tell you how many times, how many pipes I've stuck my fingers into the bowl to pinch around using my fingers as calipers to feel what exactly is too thin and what is uh, too thick. I've stuck my finger, I've stuck my fingers into hundreds of pipes over the years and just felt, you know, I have, you know, collected and seen so many pipes where I've looked at the angles, had my ruler out to measure. I mean, I'm, I'm at a point now where I could see a picture of a pipe and probably guess how long and how much it weighs. Yeah. You know, just, it's just second nature. Now, some of those things, I mean, even the thickness behind the, the, um, even the thickness behind the, uh, what they call the, the lips or the, the button right here, you want it to be just thin enough to where it feels comfortable in the mouth. You don't want it too thick to where it feels like it's a marker and you don't want it too thin to where you might bite through. I mean, I think I've, I haven't pulled out calipers to measure behind here in, in a couple of years after the time I can just kind of look at it from the side, look at it from the side and that's good enough. Hmm. So that's kind of that, that whole process. And, uh, Still early in the morning, and I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> no, you you answered it, but it was kind of oh, that good. tension between creativity and limitations. Um, but but expound on that that I that idea you that you were expressing that special something that some people just have. Um, that's that's so that was kind of as I got more into. So this kind of dives into my my theological background where I had been, I'd been a youth minister for about 10 years. And after about 10 years, I think for me, I started to see a growing need in the church for proper catechesis. Mm -hmm. um, I just would see a lot of youth with questions that were really good questions that I didn't necessarily have a complete answer for. It was more or less kind of like, um, <laughs> I would say more or less kind of like the apostles. They had like a very inchoate under understanding of the faith back in the day. Like, I don't think you could ask them to explain transubstantiation. You couldn't ask the apostle Paul to explain that. He would give you the direct answer of like, from the heart, this is what I've been taught that it is, you know, the body and blood of Christ. And that was just kind of my understanding. I knew some, but it was all very much in, in the heart. Like, I just know it's true. You know what I mean? But I, I don't know how to articulate that truth to you. And so um, that being said, that led me to discern going back to school to, for graduate studies in theology, um, something I discerned for two years. And during that discernment, I, it kind of took my prayer life in another direction, just kind of like that deeper contemplation of looking in, inwards to myself. And um, one of the things I started looking at was then as I'm starting to discern and I finally get into school and start studying, I start looking at pipes differently. And thinking about, you know, what is, you know, what is creativity? You know, is, is there something divine about it? Something transcendental about creativity? And I don't necessarily have a, a, a full understanding of it or a full answer to it. But it's just something that I see that I feel like art is really just kind of that way of somebody articulating and communicating their soul. Um, it becomes a medium, just like somebody can write. There are levels of writers who can articulate an idea. You can go beginning, intermediate, advanced, give them an idea to explain. And, you know, you'll see a basic explanation from a beginner, maybe something a little bit more elaborate from an intermediate. And then somebody who's really a master of the pen, you get this beautiful explanation that just draws and conjures images in your head you know, indicative of somebody who's mastered their craft 
it really is a medium that you communicate your soul out onto this medium. You know, you, it's when you look at really beautiful works of art, it just invokes something deeper in you. Yes. And I think that when sometimes some people have it, it's kind of those ideas of just somebody's just has it in the sense of they're already really good at being able to articulate their soul. And sometimes I think that there are people who are unaware, like some of those mm. prodigies are really just unaware. Um, I'm not saying he's a prodigy per se. I don't know if he like that title and or other people in the community might have a issue with me saying that, you know, everybody's, got their opinions but definitely like that individual i would say really has it like and there's several in the pipe community that you can look at and just be like he's he's got it he's got something and and that's something i really think is just that that beginning of true mastery over the craft in which they're able to just impose their creativity on the block um there was a, a famous pipe maker who really started the the freehand movement it was a danish pipe maker by uh, the name of sixton iverson and they consider him the grandfather of modern pipe design and his saying was the job of the pipe maker is to have enough skills and techniques under his belt as to when a pipe presents itself in the block the block offers no opposition to him because mm -hmm. he knows how to handle any and everything that could be thrown his way that if there's a pipe that he sees in there rain or shine it's coming out of that block because he's no longer a limiter to the creativity. And so I think that's just kind of that, you know, like I said, I don't have a really clear answer onto it, but as we'd all been talking, like just, I really feel like it's a really great way to commune with the divine through art because you're really tapping into, you're not really tapping into anything that's really material. It's really an immaterial source that you're tapping into because you're, you're thinking about abstractions. You're trying to make abstractions become material. So I think in that process, there is, there is a, a divine connection in that process, especially if you are willing to acknowledge that and see how far that goes, willing to acknowledge that there is a communication between you and, and the divine when you are creating. It doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to become Picasso, but I think it just means that that creating process becomes all the more fruitful to yourself mm -hmm. and your spirituality if, if you're aware of it yeah and so meaningful to the end product and the end result well i'm really grateful for how well you're able to articulate um the metaphysics the beauty the transcendentals with that which is material which is you know the final product and final creation uh, for my last question, I did want to ask you, do you have a memorable, pipe, the most memorable pipe for you? Like, what was the moment, the situation, the creation? Can we see it on your Instagram account? Um, who did you make it for? Any of that information, I'd really love to hear from you. Um, one of those awe-inspiring moments that you were able to experience with your own creative abilities. Yeah, it was, it was actually, it was probably, there. there's several pipes in but I'll talk about one in particular. Um, and this one pipe doesn't encompass the entirety of that question of like the best or right. the, the most. I mean, because I have, like I said, there's probably about five or so that represent something really significant to me. Um, but this one in particular was really cool because it has a really great kind of backstory. I had, um, <laughs> I had just gotten back from a show in, in Vegas. This was uh, about two, who three years ago, I think three years ago, I got back from a show from Vegas and my dad um, says, I need you to, I want you to make a pipe for, for your uncle. And he, I call my, my uncle. Um, he's not blood related per se, but he hit me, my dad back in the, in the eighties, uh, you know, did the uh, whole blood brother thing. Oh, let's slit our wrists, put them together. Now we're blood brothers, you know, that old, good old 80s you know and um so so they're they're brothers from that point forward and his name is uh micah mccarty and he's actually a a well-respected uh native american artist uh for the macaw tribe which is over here in the pacific northwest um and so they he makes canoes totem poles ceremonial masks he's a really phenomenal um carver 
And you know, essentially the story goes that ever since I met him, I had always wanted a mask from him. Like, could I get it? Could you make me a mask? You know? And it was always like, yeah, sure. Sure. Nephew. Sure. 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 And, um, and this had been going on for like 20 years, you know, he'd come in, he'd come out. I'd see him now. I'd see him there. Um, and so I, for my birthday, I always throw a guy's night. And so for my birthday, I always cook because cooking's my other passion. Same thing, creative outlet, you know, people eat, they're happy, they're jovial, good spirits, they can talk. And so I, and I always bring out my relic for, for uh, Pope Gregory the Great. Mm-hmm. I have a first class relic of Gregory the Great. And oh, so whenever my guys and I, I bring them out on the table, it's usually a bunch of Catholic guys just to help conversation and everything. And um, so my uncle was going to be coming. He said he could make it. And he was um, going to surprise me. And my dad says, you need to make a pipe for him. And so it usually takes me forever to make a pipe, you know, in between studying, school, work. And so I got back from Vegas, like on the 7th or 8th. And then my birthday was on the 11th. He's like, I need you to make a pipe for something really special. You got three days. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I, eight hours for three days straight, eight to 12 hours, just thinking, creating. And the first day was just thinking, what am I going to do? And so I uh, eventually decided that I was going to do this pipe that was um, a salmon that was speared. So it was going to be, it was this salmon that was curved that had some bamboo that went through it to look like it was, it was speared because the, the salmon holds a very, ceremonial and religious and spiritual significance to the Macaw tribe. It was like a form of currency for them. Um, and so I did this, I looked up native American designs for Macaw tribe. So I could essentially like dye and paint this, this, this salmon to have some of the native American design elements. And then the tip of the spear I had made out of walrus jawbone that he had given me years ago. And so it was just this beautiful pipe where the salmon's got that curve to it for some action as the spear comes in and goes out one side. So you hold it and then you can smoke from it. And the mouth was where the tobacco went in. And so um, it was a beautiful pipe, probably one of the most creative ones that I've done. And I presented it to him and he also presented me finally with a mask. Ah, Wow. So we switched art and the mask was beautiful and he he sang the ceremonial song that went along with the mask in essentially a dead language so he sung it in in macaw so for everybody who was at the party it was a once in a lifetime experience to hear him essentially speak or sing this song that was reserved for royalty so a royal dialect that's gone mm-hmm. only essentially only the elders and those who have had it taught to them know this this language out, you know, no one really outside of the reservation really knows that that language and that dialect. Wow. And so he sang it for me and then explained it. And it was called the Hamasta Man. And I thought it was just so fitting because the Hamasta, the Hamasta Man was essentially represented this, this, this secret society of elders that were the ones responsible for passing on tradition. Mm-hmm onto the younger generation and i just thought it was just like a real once again that real spiritual moment where it was kind of like an edification for the the uh the decision to go into my studies by getting this mass as representative of the 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 elders who pass on tradition to the younger generation and it represents royalty essentially the the priests of the of the tribe and so it was it was really beautiful to to see that and just kind of have that swap and so that's why that pipe was special represented kind of like the most creativity i poured into a pipe and then just the meaning of like what i got in return from that was also just i feel like a sign from god it was kind of like you're on the right path keep on listening keep on persevering keep on going incredible no i just that's that's absolutely incredible and i think i think the biggest takeaway for me from this whole conversation is just how much more pipe making and pipe smoking for that matter means than just consuming tobacco. Uh, We live in such a moralistic society, ironically, uh, where they've actually taken things like sexual ethics and things like that and thrown that out the window and said that all morality is relative. 
But then on the other hand, they demonize things like smoking and said it's just about addiction. It's just about um, bad habits, uh, cancer, illness. Um, just demonize this thing. And yet, what what we've heard throughout this incredibly rich conversation is it's not about that at all when it comes to pipe smoking. It's about tradition, family, craft, creativity, contemplation, just just everything that it means to be human. Yeah. And uh, I, I absolutely love that. And we're craving that in our society today. People are longing for these human experiences, these experiences of camaraderie, of um, human interaction, of tradition, of um, shared uh, meaning. And if a pipe can provide that, well, then God bless it. Like that is absolutely yeah. incredible. So thank you so much, uh, Kadesh, for for sharing your soul with us, your craft yeah. with us. This conversation has been absolutely fantastic. And uh, can you just, in closing, just share where people can follow you and maybe where they can even buy one of your pipes? Because uh, I know there's going to be people who are going to find you and just be blown away by your skill, and they're going to want to want to get a piece of that. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, yeah, KJ Pipes, so KJ and then Pipes. You can find me on Facebook, but Instagram is pretty much where all of my sales take place, and that's kind of real where the whole gamut of my work is um, is present, so they can see everything from the beginning to, to, to just now, um, see a little bit of my life on there but that's pretty much where it where it all goes down is just uh through instagram and so you don't need the app for that you can just go into instagram.com backslash kj pipes on your browser and i'll pull up my page um and then my email is kj pipes 89 at gmail.com so if you don't have the app which i think that if you try to go on your browser it won't allow you to directly message someone unless you have an account so mm-hmm. you can always go through my email that way if you see something on on my instagram and send a picture to me um but yeah those are pretty much the two main places that i'm found um in terms of like where you want to see work that's available or if you like to commission something um that's where you'll uh find it oh that's terrific well again i want to second what sam was just saying and and how grateful i was in your ability to articulate this beauty and articulate this art um you know artisanship that you're involved in and what it means not only to your life as a man but also your life as a catholic and your life um you know combining the two which is exactly what what we're here for and to uh dispel stigmas and uh hopefully bring truth to the beauty of, uh, of his creation. And in this case, pipe smoking. So, um, Kadesh, I would again, please. One last, uh, quote that I heard somewhere. I can't remember who it was, but I thought it really was really, um, on point to pipe smoking. And, uh, I always say this quote because I just think it's just so, it's just so on point. And it says the pipe is the friend the tobacco is the subject and the smoke is the conversation. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So I think, I'm going yeah. to smoke my pipe later today. So. I, me too. I know <laughs> <laughs> you have inspired me. So, well, God bless you. You're in our prayers. Please keep us in your prayers. And yes. as we like to end every episode, be a man, be a saint and smoke a pipe. Not you. Amen. Thank you.